The scripture reading today is from Deuteronomy chapter 5, verses 6 through 15. Hear the word of the Lord. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself an idol, whether in the form of anything that is in heaven above, or that is on the earth beneath, or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them or worship them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, punishing children for the iniquity of parents to the third and fourth generation of those who reject me but showing steadfast love to the thousandth generation of those who love me and keep my commandments. You shall not make wrongful use of the name of the Lord your God, for the Lord will not acquit anyone who misuses his name. Observe the Sabbath day and keep it holy, as the Lord your God commanded you. For six days you shall labor and do all your work. But the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. You shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter, or your male or female slave, or your ox or your donkey, or any of your livestock, or the resident alien in your towns so that your male and female slave may rest as well as you. Remember that you were a slave in the land of Egypt, and the Lord your God brought you out from there with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. Therefore the Lord your God commanded you to keep the Sabbath day. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. We're going to continue that reading in Deuteronomy 5, picking up at verse 16, where the focus changes towards our ethical responsibility to others. Honor your father and your mother as the Lord your God commanded you so that your days may be long and that it may go well with you in the land that the Lord your God is giving you. You shall not murder, neither shall you commit adultery, neither shall you steal, neither shall you bear false witness against your neighbor, Neither shall you covet your neighbor's wife. Neither shall you desire your neighbor's house or field or male or female slave or ox or donkey or anything that belongs to your neighbor. This too is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's bow before God in prayer. Let us pray. Almighty God, at times we think you are silent, and yet you have broken the silence of heaven by sending us your Son, our Lord Jesus Christ, to be your Word made flesh. And you have broken the silence of heaven in Holy Scripture, giving us a Word that we are to study, that we are to pray about, and from which we are to hear your voice to us today. So speak, and help us grow closer to you, and stronger in faith and grace. Even through Jesus Christ, we pray our prayer. Amen. 
I do want to welcome as well, not only of those of you who are in the sanctuary, uh, but Bill Neal to play our organ. Our longtime organist is with us today, and Bill, we're delighted that you're with us today. This Sunday, we come to the end of my summer series in which we're looking together at the Old Testament book of Deuteronomy. Next Sunday, we're going to take a one-Sunday look at the sequel to Deuteronomy. You may or may not know what it is. It's the book of Joshua. It's really the sequel to Deuteronomy. It's about Moses handing over the leadership of God's ancient people, Israel, to his protege, Joshua. So we'll take one week to look at that. And we've got a guest preacher, a wonderful guest preacher, the last Sunday of the month and in the fall. We're going to be turning again to the New Testament and thinking about Jesus' words in his Sermon on the Mount, focusing on Matthew's Gospel, chapters 5, 6, and 7. Today, though, I want us to return to the central theme of Deuteronomy that we read earlier and that we've looked at earlier in the summer in chapter 5, and that is uh, the theme of the, the Ten Commandments, as you may already have guessed. The Ten Commandments have always been important in our Presbyterian theological tradition. We find them repeated in a number of places in our creeds and confessions, part of our constitution as the Presbyterian Church USA and what we call the Heidelberg Catechism and the Westminster Catechisms. And more recently in the 1990s, they're included in two documents to teach the faith to our children and to our youth, a catechism called Belonging to God and then one for confirmation class. And each of these, once again, you can find, if you download the, uh, the sermon notes, you'll find a link there which will take you to places where you can find uh, these documents of the Presbyterian Church. This emphasis on the Ten Commandments is for good reason. They form the foundation of ethical teaching, not just ethical teaching, but spiritual religious teaching as well, but especially ethical teaching, not just in the Old Testament for ancient Israel, but in the New Testament for Christians as well. And there are some people who say, well, that's just the past. It's not for us. It's just the Old Testament. But we find that the Apostle Paul depends upon the Ten Commandments in his ethical teaching and his letter to the Romans and in other places in his writings, which comprise about 40% of our New Testament. And then we find it to be true that Jesus himself depends upon the Ten Commandments in what I'm going to be looking at this for, in the Sermon on the Mount in particular, and intensifies them rather than diminishing them. And even here in the Old Testament, if we just stick to the first part of the Bible, they're considered of such importance that they are listed not just once, but twice. First of all, in the book of Exodus, in the 20th chapter, the Hebrew people have been slaves in Egypt for about 400 years. They've been treated despicably in Egypt. God sets them free from slavery. He delivers them from slavery across the Red Sea. They travel through the wilderness. They come to a mountain called Mount Sinai. And one of the first things that God gives to his people as a gift. And it's really important to remember that this is a good and a gracious gift. Is the Ten Commandments. Ten rules for life. To make sure that God's people find maximum liberty a people ruled, as John Adams would later say about our own nation, by a government of laws and not of men. In other words, far from taking away freedom, these ten simple commandments have been given to us by God to maintain our freedom, to increase our freedom, to, uh, 
to, to make sure we know maximum liberty in the life that we are to live within ourselves and in community with others. Abandon these rules. And while many people think, I'm going to win, this is going to be the good life, the fact is, we end up losing. And these rules, as I said a number of weeks ago, function rather like a constitution. The Ten Commandments given in Exodus spawn all kinds of other specific laws, many of which give lots of people trouble. We say, what in the world is that about? Why is that in the Bible? Many of these laws actually do not apply to us today. The specific laws change with time, just as our laws in our nation change with time. But the constitution, the foundation, the Ten Commandments at the root, no. That remains the same. And 40 years later, after the people have been freed from slavery, they've gone through the wilderness, they've been given the Ten Commandments 40 years later to emphasize the importance of these constitutional statements. The whole list is repeated in our book of Deuteronomy. The Greek for Deuteronomy, by the way, it's a Greek word. Deuteros, second, nomos, law. The second law, the second giving of the foundational law, the second telling of the ten laws. So in Deuteronomy, these commandments are repeated not at the beginning of the journey, but at the end of the journey. The whole of the book of Deuteronomy is a speech by Moses at the end of the journey of the people of Israel towards the promised land. They're about to enter the promised land, and he reminds them of who God is and how God has led them. And foundationally, in this reminding, he reminds them of these Ten Commandments. An extended sermon, and at the heart of this, the beginning of this, from which everything else seems to flow, are the Ten Commandments. A reminder given to God's ancient people way back then. And this reminder, the need to be reminded, of course, is something that all of us need, not just every 40 years, but much more frequently than that. And indeed, when it comes to the commandments, all the evidence is a lot of people in our own nation and elsewhere need a lot of reminding. Just as 16 years ago this month, Hurricane Katrina struck New Orleans, people had not paid as much attention as they ought to have paid to the foundations of their life in that city, 50% of which is below sea level. They are utterly dependent on the foundations of levees and pumps and canals which most people never think of from day to day. I mean, they're just sort of there, and you go about your normal business. But when we forget the foundations, when we fail to keep them strong, when they fail, as they did back then, life collapses. Sometimes life is gone and lost completely, but normal life becomes impossible. So the people of Israel needed reminding, second dose of the commandments, and we do too. Go back about 14 years ago now to 2007, and USA Today had a poll about the Ten Commandments, and the statistics they give are not too encouraging about what people remember, and I'm sure today it's not even as good as it was back then, but they say 60% of Americans could not name five of the Ten Commandments. Whereas by comparison, 74% of Americans can name all three stooges. Uh, can you? Mo, Larry, and Curly. 35% of Americans can recall all six kids from the Brady Bunch. I can't do that, but maybe you can. And this is the one I like the most. 
25% of Americans, I just don't understand this one, 25% of Americans can name all seven ingredients of a McDonald's Big Mac. Well, well, nothing's really new. Repetition, deliberate acts of remembering are essential for all kinds of things in life. And perhaps even more essential for those things that are foundational. Sometimes just slip into the background and we forget how absolutely essential they are. And the strange thing is this, that within the Ten Commandments, the fourth commandment about the Sabbath day is in fact the commandment which tells us that reminding ourselves is in fact essential. So it's not only from outside the commandments that we say we need to remember these, but inside the commandments, the act of remembrance becomes something that is commanded by God. The importance of remembering by setting aside time for God. As we are doing today, all of us who are watching, you who are here, are doing this. But this is not just something peripheral or ought not to be, but central to our lives as human beings. So remember these words. Observe the Sabbath day and keep it holy as the Lord your God commanded you. Six days you shall labor. This is actually a commandment to work. Meaningful work is a gift of God. Six days you shall labor and do all your work. But the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. You shall not do any work. Sort of a blanket command, though I think that too often in history, people, both Jews and Christians, have become hung up on exactly how the Sabbath is to be observed and exactly when it is to be observed, and what exactly the work is that we are not supposed to do on the Sabbath day and get all stuck in the details of the commandment. But I do believe that much of this literalism is to miss the point that on a regular basis, at least once a week, and this is the core of the commandment, at least once a week, we are commanded to acknowledge that our time is not ours. Our precious time is not ours. And we need to stop. Whatever it is we're doing, we need to stop and refocus our lives, not on ourselves, but on God and on others. On God, whose time it is. All of our time belongs to God. Refocus. How critical that is. If we don't stop, we'll never do it. Some of you may remember Stephen Covey's great story in his book about highly successful people about a person coming upon someone in the woods working feverishly to saw down a tree. What are you doing? You ask. Can't you see? Comes the impatient reply. I'm sawing down this tree. You look exhausted, you exclaim. How long have you been at it? Over five hours, he returns. And I'm beat. This is hard work. Well, why do you not take a break for a few minutes and sharpen that saw. I'm sure it would go a lot faster. I don't have time to sharpen the saw, the man says. I'm too busy sawing. Sometimes we just don't see what we don't see in life, do we? What we do, we're doing it the wrong way, but we don't know we're doing it the wrong way because we're in it and we don't step outside to see what we're doing. We're on the wrong track completely, but we're inside of it, and we can't see that the track is heading in the wrong direction. Another business guru by the name of Peter Drucker used to say, we may be climbing, in fact, the wrong ladder. 
we work hard, we do lots of good things, and this is really important, some great things, only to find that after we've done them and we climb to the top of the ladder, that the ladder is leaning, he says, against the wrong wall. Is your ladder that you're climbing, is it on the right wall? And too late we realize, gosh, it's all been good, but it's in the wrong, the wrong direction. So we often need some kind of a jolt in our lives to make a step back, step out, and look back in to change our ways. One friend of mine recently sent to me his own story. He said this, until I was 50 years old, I did not slow down very much. I was a playboy golf junkie going about 150 miles an hour. This meant that I did not do much thinking about anything. Why do that? I was in the fast lane. And then, he says, my business had a hiccup, which gave me time to think a little about my life and how I came to be where I was in the universe at that time. My wife pretty much abandoned me. I was pretty low. But it was during this time that I started to be interested in what the heck was going on in my life and to pray to God for wisdom along the way. Sometimes it takes a jolt for us to stop. We're just so intensely involved in what we're doing to take stock in life. And God sometimes graciously, even though we don't see it as an act of grace at the time, gives us that jolt. But what the fourth commandment tells us is this, is that we ought not to wait for the jolt. Don't wait for that moment. But on a regular basis, stop. At least once a week. I think it should be at least once a day. Every day is God's day. This is the day the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and give thanks in it and give it back to God. Every day, stop. But at least, says the commandment, once a week, stop and think about where we are in life, and in particular, where God is in our lives, and who God is in our lives. And not just in our lives, but who God is. Who God is, the God who is in our lives. And this is the primary function of the Sabbath commandment. Stop, remember, focus on what's really, really important. If you don't stop, you won't do that. And who knows where we will end up. This will not only help us to honor God, but in the end, it will also help us to honor others. And once again, in the end, it will bring us the greatest liberty and the greatest joy that we can find here on earth. So let's think very briefly about the commandments, beginning with the first three commandments, which focus our lives on God. God calls us to what we call religious piety. We don't collapse loving neighbor and loving God into one. We're to love God and love neighbor and to find that they do become one. But we focus our lives first on God and think about our priorities in life and think about our relationships with the most significant other in our lives and think about who or what we honor most in life. These are fundamental questions in life, and if you do not ask them, your life will be all at sea. So the first commandment, you shall have no other gods before me. It's about priorities. God as number one. Second, you shall not make for yourself an idol. 
God loves the inanimate world, but God is person. God is relational. God is not mere force. And the question is, are we in relationship with that God? Or have we fallen in in love with something instead, which will never satisfy? You shall not make wrongful use of the name of the Lord your God. This is not just about swearing, though it is. It's about carelessly using the name of God. But more than that, the name of God is God's person. Your good name is about your person. And we are to honor the person of God above our honoring of everyone and everything else. These commandments force us into deep soul searching. And it does not happen unless we give time to it. It simply doesn't. Who or what do we love or respect the most? And to whom or what have we sold our soul. Don't stop running, and we'll find that we've sold our soul to someone or to something, and we have no idea what it is, but it will not lead to the joy and the fulfillment that God wants to give to our lives. Stop. Think about God and where God is within our lives, but also stop. Think about God and who God is, not only in our lives, but in the world around about us. Who is this God in whom we are to place our trust and to count as our first priority above everyone else? Well, quite clearly, this is a God who wants us to be concerned about our neighbors. So the last six commandments go on to speak about honoring parents, not murdering, not committing adultery, not stealing, not playing fast and loose with the truth, which seems to be the besetting sin of our age, That's what's happening around about us now. And I think you would find if you went back through history, the different ones of these sins would perhaps be more prominent than others. But this one seems to me to be highly prominent today. And then not coveting what is ours. Well, all of them, I suppose, are prominent today. But the truth is just a huge issue in our world. But here's this transition from God, the first three commandments, to others in the last uh, commandments from and the fifth commandment on towards the end. And there in the middle, you have this seventh, uh, this, this fourth commandment about the seventh day, the Sabbath day, in which we are to remember God, who God is, where God is in our lives, but also, and many people miss this, in which we are to, to take time to remember others. Listen again to the commandment as it's given in Deuteronomy. And this is spelled out in Deuteronomy in a way which is not spelled out in the first giving of the commandments in Exodus chapter 20. Observe the Sabbath day and keep it holy as the Lord your God commanded you. Six days you shall labor and do all your work. But the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. You shall not do any work. And then this, you or your son or your daughter, pay attention to your family, or your male or female slave, Pay attention, well, in our terms, to your employees or your ox or your donkey or any of your livestock, to the animals created by God or the resident alien in your towns. That's immigrants here in the commandments so that your male and female slave and all the rest of them may rest as well as you. This is not just about where I am with God. But it's about others, where I am with others, and where they are too, for they need rest as well. We are not machines, and we are not chattel. 
We are human beings made in the image of God. And even the animals have been created by God and are loved by God and are to come within our sphere of care. God is the creator of all. And that's one of the things we need to remember on the Sabbath day. But more than that, as Deuteronomy goes on, we find that God is also a redeemer. God is passionate about setting people free from all kinds of bondage. I said the commandments were about our liberty. God is passionate about our liberty, spiritual liberty, and literal liberty as well. So the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. You shall not do any work, you or all of these others. And then at verse 15, remember that you were a slave in the land of Egypt, and the Lord your God brought you out from there with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. Therefore the Lord your God commanded you to keep the Sabbath day. This is who God is, not just our creator, but a redeemer who loves to bring liberty into people's lives, into our lives and into the lives of others, even through us. In fact, four more times in Deuteronomy, the people are admonished to remember the same thing, that they themselves, or at least their parents, had known the brutality of slavery and they were not to repeat that to others. But the opposite, God sets people free. This is to be our commission in relationship with others. How can we do that? And seven more times in Deuteronomy, God is described in similar terms as the Lord who brought his people out of the land of Egypt and out of the house of slavery. Is this how you think about God taking time on the Sabbath? The God I worship and believe in is always the God who brings people out of slavery. And if this is who God is, then who am I to be in response to that? Never forget, says God. Take time to remember. Keep the Sabbath day. For I am the Lord your God, who loves to deliver people from whatever house of slavery, from the slavery of sin or literal slavery. This morning, if you want to go back online, thinking about human trafficking, literal slavery, or thinking back to the past in our own nation, literal slavery. God is the great deliverer. One of the most stunning moments in my interview a few weeks ago with Dr. John Perkins, the 91-year-old uh, black civil rights leader, Christian pastor, and author of the book that strongly recommending Session and I to the congregation to read this summer. It's not that long. It's called One Blood. But Dr. John Perkins described his call not to be a follower of Jesus or to enter full-time Christian ministry, but his call to be involved in matters of racial equity. He said it was when he was brutally treated and beaten up by police in Mendenhall, Mississippi, and he had to be taken to the hospital. And he said that at that moment, not surprisingly, and some of you may remember this from the clip we showed in the sanctuary. You can see the extended interview and the clips online if you want to go back there. He said that at that moment, not surprisingly, he was filled with hatred for white people. But he says it was that very experience of being in bondage to his own sin, slavery to his own sin, that awoke him to the fact that we're all in bondage. And this, in fact, was part of Martin Luther King Jr.'s message as well. We're all in bondage. 
And we need to be set free by Jesus, who wants us to be set free together, whoever we are, whatever race or tribe or tongue or nation, set free together in service to Christ, our common Lord. This is what God does for human beings. This is what God wants us to do for human beings as well. When we put God first, when we honor God above all else, when we realize that God is not a thing, but a person, personal, with whom we've been called to enter into relationship. Ten great commandments, not to decrease our liberty, but to increase our liberty. And a great fourth commandment, as we move forward in life, to look back, look out, look up to God, as well as to neighbor, and to find in doing that, that God will lead us on the best path possible. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, look down upon us. We rush around so much. Help us to know how to be still. Thank you for this place in which we can be still. And thank you that even in our living rooms watching, we can be still. And in that stillness, meet with us, we pray, today and always. Amen.